Section eleven of Lynn McLean by Owen Wister. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter five Separ's Vigilante Part two Upon going out, Lynn and I found the boy pacing up and down eagerly in talk with Miss Buckner. She had made friends with him, and he was now smoothed down and deeply absorbed, being led by her to tell her about himself. But on Lynn's approach his face clouded, and he made off for the corrals, displaying a sullen back, while I was presenting Mr. McLean to the lady. Overtaken by his cowpuncher shyness, Lynn was greeting her with ungainly ceremony, when she began at once, "'You'll excuse me, but I just had to have my laugh.' "'That's all right, ma'am,' said he. "'Don't mention it. For that boy, you know. I'll fix him, ma'am. He'll not insult you no more. I'll speak to him.' "'Oh, now, please don't. Why, why, you were every bit as bad,' Miss Buckner peeled out joyously. It was the two of you. Oh, dear! Mr. McLean looked crestfallen. I had no—I I didn't go to—why, there was no harm. To see him mean so well, and you mean so well, and—I know I ought to behave better. No, you oughtn't, said Lynn, with sudden ardor. And then, in a voice of deprecation, you'll think us plumb ignorant. "'You know enough to be kind to folks,' said she. "'We'd like to.' "'It's the only thing that makes the world go round,' she declared, with an emotion that I had heard in her tone once or twice already. But she caught herself up and said gaily to me, "'And where's that house you were going to build for a lone girl to sleep in?' "'I'm afraid the foundations aren't laid yet,' said I. "'Now, you gentlemen needn't bother about me.' We'll have to, ma'am. You ain't used to Separ. Oh, I am no I'm a, a tenderfoot, don't you call them? She whipped out her pistol and held it at the cowpuncher, laughing. This would have given no pleasure to me, but over Lynn's features went a glow of delight, and he stood gazing at the pointed weapon and the girl behind it. My, he said at length, almost in a whisper, she's got the drop on me. I reckon I'd be afraid to shoot that one of yours, said Miss Buckner, but this hits a target real good and straight at fifteen yards, and she handed it to him for inspection. He received it, hugely grinning, and turned it over and over. My, he murmured again, why shucks. He looked at Miss Buckner with stark rapture caressing the polished revolver at the same time with a fond, unconscious thumb. "'You hold it just as steady as I could,' he said, with pride, and added insinuatingly, "'I could learn you the professional drop in a morning. This here is a little dandy gun.' "'You'd not trade, though,' said she, "'for all your flattery.' "'Will you trade?' pounced Lynn. "'Won't you?' "'Now, Mr. McLean.' I am afraid you're thoughtless. How could a girl like me ever hold that awful forty-five colt steady? She knows the brands, too, cried Lynn in ecstasy. See here, he remarked to me with a manner that smacked of command. We're losing time right now. You go and tell the agent to hustle and fix his room up for a lady, and I'll bring her along. 
I found the agent willing, of course, to sleep on the floor of the office. The toy station was also his home. The front compartment held the ticket and telegraph and mail and express chattels, and the railing, and room for the public to stand. Through a door you then passed to the sitting, dining, and sleeping box, and through another to a cooking stove in a pigeonhole. Here flourished the agent and his lungs, and here the company's strict orders bade him sleep in charge. So I helped him put his room to rights. But we need not have hurried ourselves. Mr. McLean was so long in bringing the lady that I went out and found him walking and talking with her, while fifty yards away skulked poor Texas alone. This boy's name was, like himself, of the somewhat unexpected order, being Manassas Donahoe. As I came towards the new friends, they did not appear to be joking, and on seeing me, Miss Buckner said to Lynn, Did he know? Lynn hesitated. You did know, she exclaimed, but lost her resentment at once, and continued very quietly and with a friendly tone, I reckon you don't like to have to tell folks bad news. It was I that now hesitated. Not to a strange girl, anyway, said she. Well, now, I have good news to tell you. You would not have given me any shock if you had said you knew about poor Nate, for that's the reason. Of course, those things can't be secret. Why, he's only twenty, sir. How should he know about this world? He hadn't learned the first little thing when he left home five years ago, and I am twenty-three, old enough to be Nate's grandmother. He's that young and thoughtless. He couldn't ever realize bad companions when they came around. See that? She showed me a paper, taking it out like a precious thing, as indeed it was, for it was a pardon signed by Governor Barker. And the Governor has let me carry it to Nate himself. He won't know a thing about it until I tell him. The Governor was real kind, and we will never forget him. I reckon Nate must have a mustache by now," said she to Lynn. Yes, Lynn answered gruffly, looking away from her. He has got a mustache all right. He'll be glad to see you, said I, for something to say. Of course he will. How many hours did you say we will be? she asked Lynn, turning from me again, for Mr. McLean had not been losing time. It was plain that between these two had arisen a Freemasonry from which I was already shut out. Her woman's heart had answered his right impulse to tell her about her brother, and I had been found wanting. So now she listened over again to the hours of stage jolting that we had before us, and that lay between her and Nate. We would be four, herself, Lynn, myself, and the boy Billy. Was Billy the one at supper? Oh, no just Billy Lusk of Laramie. He's a kid I'm taking up the country, Lynn explained. Ain't you most tuckered out? Oh, me, she confessed with a laugh and a sigh. There again, she had put aside my solicitude lightly, but was willing Lynn should know her fatigue. Yet, fatigue and all, she would not sleep in the agent's room. 
At sight of it and the close quarters she drew back into the outer office, so prompted by that inner unsuspected strictness she had shown me before. "'Come out!' she cried, laughing. "'Indeed, I thank you, but I can't have you sleep on this hard floor out here. No politeness now. Thank you ever so much. I'm used to roughing it pretty near as well as if I was a cowboy.' And she glanced at Lynn. "'They're calling forty-seven, she added to the agent. "'That's me,' he said, coming out to the telegraph instrument. "'So you're one of us.' "'I didn't know forty-seven meant Separ,' said I. "'How in the world do you know that?' "'I didn't. I heard forty-seven, 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 start and go right along, so I guess they wanted him, and he couldn't hear them from his room.' "'Can you do astronomy and Spanish, too?' inquired the proud and smiling McLean. "'Why, it's nothing. I've been day operator back home.' Why is a deputy coming through on a special engine? Please don't say it out loud, quavered the agent, as the machine clicked its news. You needn't be scared of a girl, said Lynn. Another sheriff? So they're not quit bothering us yet. However, this meddling was not the company's, but the county's. A sheriff sent to arrest, on a charge of murder, a man named Trampas, said to be at the Sand Hill Ranch that was near Rawhide, two stations beyond, and the engine might not stop at Separ, even to water. So here was no molesting of Separ's liberties. All the same, Lynn said, for pistols now and then still sounded at the corrals, the boys'll not understand that till it's explained, and they may act wayward at first. I'd feel easier if you slept here, he urged to the girl but she would not. Well, then, we must rustle some other private place for you. How's the section house? Rank, said the agent, since those Italians used it. The pump engineer has been scouring, but he's scared to bunk there yet himself. Too bad you couldn't try my plan of a freight car, said I. An empty, she cried. Is there a clean one? You've sure never done that, Lynn burst out. So you're scandalized, said she, punishing him instantly. I reckon it does take a decent girl to shock you. And while she stood laughing at him with robust irony, poor Lynn began to stammer that he meant no offense. Why, to be sure you didn't, said she, but I do enjoy you real thoroughly. Well, ma'am, protested the wincing cowpuncher, driven back to addressing her as ma'am, we ain't used. Don't tangle yourself up worse, Mr. McLean. No more am I used. I have never slept in an empty in my life. And why is that? Just because I've never had to. And there's the difference between you boys and us. You do lots of things you don't like and tell us. And we put up with lots of things we don't like, but we never let you find out. I know you meant no offense, she continued heartily, softening towards her crushed protector, because you're a gentleman, and lands, I'm not complaining about an empty. That will be rich, if I can have the door shut. Upon this she went out to view the cars, Mr. McLean hovering behind her with a devoted, uneasy countenance, and frequently muttering, shucks, 
while the agent and I followed with a lamp, for the dark was come. With our help she mounted into the first car, and then into the next, taking the lamp. And while she scanned the floor and corners, and slid the door back and forth, Lynn whispered in my ear, "'Her name's Jessamine. She told me. Don't you like that name?' So I answered him, "'Oh, yes, very much,' thinking that some larger flower, but still a flower, might have been more apt. "'Nobody seems to have slept in these,' said she, stepping down, and, on learning that even the tramp avoided Separ when he could, she exclaimed, "'What lodging could be handier than this? Only it would be so cute if you had a Louisville or Nashville car,' said she. "'Twould seem like my old Kentucky home.' And laughing rather sweetly at her joke, she held the lamp up to read the car's lettering. "'D and R.G.' Oh, that's a way-off stranger. I reckon they're all strange. She went along the train with her lamp. Yes, B and M and S, C and P. Oh, this is rich. Nate will laugh when he hears. I'll choose C, B and Q. That's a little nearer my country. What time does the stage start? Porter, please wake C, B and Q at six sharp, said she to Lynn. From this point of the evening on, I think of our doings, their doings, with a sort of unchanging homesickness. Nothing like them can ever happen again, I know, for it's all gone, settled, sobered, and gone. And whatever wholesomer prose of good fortune waits in our cup, how I thank my luck for this swallow of frontier poetry which I came in time for. To arrange some sort of bed for her was the next thing, and we made a good shakedown, clean straw and blankets and a pillow, and the agent would have brought sheets. But though she would not have these, she did not resist, what do you suppose, a looking-glass for next morning. And we got a bucket of water and her valise. It was all one to her, she said, in what car Lynn and I put up and let it be next door by all means if it pleased him to think he could watch over her safety better so. And she shut herself in, bidding us good-night. We began spreading straw and blankets for ourselves, when a whistle sounded far and long, and its tone rose in pitch as it came. "'I'll get him to run right to the corral,' said the agent, so the sheriff can tell the boys he's not after them." "'That'll convince him he is,' said Lynn. "'Stop him here, or let him go through.' But we were not to steer the course that events took now. The rails of the main line beside us brightened in wavering parallels as the headlight grew down upon us, and in this same moment the shootings at the corrals chorused in a wild, hilarious threat. The burden of the coming engine heavily throbbed in the air and along the steel, and met and mixed with the hard, light beating of hoofs. The sounds approached together like a sort of charge, and I stepped between the freight cars, where I heard Lynn ordering the girl inside to lie down flat, and could see the agent running about in the dust, flapping his arms to signal with as much coherence as a chicken with his head cut off. I had very short space for wonder or alarm. 
The edge of one of my freight cars glowed suddenly with the imminent headlight, and galloping shots invaded the place. The horsemen flew by, overreaching, and leaning back and lugging against their impetus. They passed in a tangled swirl, and their dust coiled up thick from the dark ground, and luminously unfolded across the glare of the sharp-halted locomotive. Then they wheeled, and clustered around it where it stood by our cars, its air-brake pumping deep breaths, and the internal steam humming through its bowels. And I came out in time to see Billy Lusk climb its front with callow, enterprising shouts. That was child's play, and the universal yell now raised by the horsemen was their child's play, too. But the whole thing could so precipitately reel into the fatal that my thoughts stopped. I could only look when I saw that they had somehow recognized the man on the engine for a sheriff. Two had sprung from their horses and were making boisterously toward the cab, while Lynn McLean, neither boisterous nor joking, was going to the cab from my side, with his pistol drawn, to keep the peace. The engineer sat with a neutral hand on the lever. The fireman had run along the top of the coal in the tender, and descended and crouched somewhere, and the sheriff, cool and with a good-natured eye upon all parties, was just beginning to explain his errand, when some rider from the crowd cut him short with an invitation to get down and have a drink. At the word of ribald endearment by which he named the sheriff, a passing fierceness hardened the officer's face, and the new yell they gave was less playful. Waiting no more explanations, they swarmed against the locomotive, and McLean pulled himself up on the step. The loud talking fell at a stroke to let business go on, and in this silence came the noise of a sliding door. At that I looked, and they all looked, and stood harmless, like children surprised. For there, on the threshold of the freight car, with the interior darkness behind her, and touched by the headlight's diverging rays, stood Jessamine Buckner. "'Will you gentlemen do me a favor?" said she. "'Strangers, maybe, have no right to ask favors, but I reckon you'll let that pass this time, for I'm real sleepy.' She smiled as she brought this out. "'I've been four days and nights on the cars, and to-morrow I've got to stage to Buffalo. You see, I'll not be here to spoil your fun to-morrow night, and I want boys to be boys just as much as ever they can. Won't you put it off till to-morrow night?" In their amazement they found no spokesman. But I saw Lynn busy among them, and that some word was passing through their groups. After the brief interval of standstill they began silently to get on their horses, while the looming engine glowed and pumped its breath, and the sheriff and engineer remained as they were. "'Good-night, ladies,' said a voice among the moving horsemen but the others kept their abashed native silence, and thus they slowly filed away to the corrals. The figures, in their loose shirts and leathern chaps, passed from the dimness for a moment through the cone of light in front of the locomotive, so that the metal about them made here and there a faint vanishing glint, and here and there in the departing column a bold, half-laughing face turned for a look at the girl in the doorway, 
and then was gone again into the dimness. The sheriff in the cab took off his hat to Miss Buckner, remarking that she should belong to the force, and as the bell rang and the engine moved, off popped young Billy Lusk from his cow-catcher. With an exclamation of horror she sprang down, and Mr. McLean appeared, and with all a parent's fright and rage held the boy by the arm grotesquely as the sheriff steamed by. "'I ain't a-goin' to chase it,' said young Billy, struggling. "'I've a mind to cowhide you,' said Lynn. But Miss Buckner interposed. "'Oh, well,' said she, "'next time. If he does it, next time. It's so late to-night. You'll not frighten us that way again if he lets you off,' she asked Billy. "'No,' said Billy, looking at her with interest. "'Father'd have cowhided me anyway, I guess,' he added meditatively. "'Do you call him Father?' "'Uh, Father's at Laramie,' said Billy, with disgust. "'He'd not stop for your asking. Lynn, don't bother me much.' "'You quit talking and step up there,' ordered his guardian. "'Well, ma'am, I guess you can sleep good now in there.' "'If it was only an L and N, I'd not have a thing against it. Good night, Mr. McLean. Good night, young Mr. I'm Billy Lusk. I can ride Chalky's Pinto that bucked Honey Wiggin. I am sure you can ride finely, Mr. Lusk. Maybe you and I can take a ride together. Pleasant dreams. She nodded and smiled to him and slid her door to, and Billy considered it, remarking, I like her. What makes her live in a car? But he was drowsing while I told him, and I lifted him up to Lynn, who took him in his own blankets, where he fell immediately asleep. One distant whistle showed how far the late engine had gone from us. We left our car open, and I lay enjoying the cool air. Thus was I drifting off, when I grew aware of a figure in the door. It was Lynn, standing in his stockings, and not much else, with his pistol. He listened, and then leaped down, light as a cat. I heard some repressed talking, and lay in expectancy. But back he came, noiseless in his stockings, and as he slid into bed I asked what the matter was. He had found the Texas boy, Manassas Donahoe, by the girl's car, with no worse intention than keeping a watch on it. So I gave him to understand, said Lynn, that I had no objection to him amusing himself playing picket-line, but that I guessed I was enough guard, and he would find sleep healthier for his system. After this I went to sleep wholly, but waking once in the night thought I heard someone outside, and learned in the morning from Lynn that the boy had not gone until the time came for him to join his outfit at the corrals. And I was surprised that Lynn, the usually good-hearted, should find nothing but mirth in the idea of this unknown, unthanked young sentinel. Sleeping's a heap better for them kind till they get their growth, was his single observation. But when Separ had dwindled to toys behind us in the journeying stage, I told Miss Jessamine, and although she laughed too, it was with a note that young Texas would have liked to hear, and she hoped she might see him upon her return to thank him. 
Any jack can walk around all night, said Mr. McLean disparagingly. Well, then, and I know a jack who didn't, observed the young lady. This speech caused her admirer to be full of explanations, so that when she saw how readily she could perplex him, and yet how capable and untiring he was about her comfort, helping her out or tucking her in at the stations where we had a meal or changed horses, she enjoyed the hours very much, in spite of their growing awkwardness. But, oh, the sparkling, unbashful Lynn! Sometimes he sat himself beside her to be close, and then he would move opposite, the better to behold her. Never, except once long after, when sorrow, manfully born, had still further refined his clay, have I heard Lynn's voice or seen his look so winning. No doubt many a male bird cares nothing what a neighbor bird overhears his spring song from the top of the open tree. But I extremely doubt if his lady-love, even if she be a frank, bouncing robin, does not prefer to listen from some thicket, and not upon the public lawn. Jessamine grew silent and almost peevish, and from discourse upon man and woman she hopped, she skipped, she flew. When Len looked at his watch and counted the diminished hours between her and Buffalo, she smiled to herself. But from mention of her brother she shrank, glancing swiftly at me and my well-assumed slumber. And it was with indignation and self-pity that I climbed out in the hot sun at last beside the driver and small Billy. "'I know this road,' piped Billy on the box. "'I camped here with father when mother was off that time. You can take a left-hand trail by those cottonwoods and strike the mountains.' So I inquired what game he had then shot. "'Ah, just a sage-hen. Lynn's a-going to let me shoot a bear, you know. What made Lynn marry mother when father was around?' The driver gave me a look over Billy's head, and I gave him one, and I instructed Billy that people supposed his father was dead. I withheld that his mother gave herself out as Miss Peck in the days when Lynn met her on Bear Creek. The formidable nine-year-old pondered, The geography says they used to have a lot of wives at Salt Lake City. Is there a place where a woman can have a lot of husbands? Um, it don't especially depend on the place, remarked the driver to me. Because, Billy went on, Bert Taylor told me in recess that Mother'd had a lot, and I told him he lied, and the other boys, they laughed, and I blacked Bert's eye on him, and I'd have blacked the others, too, only Miss Wood came out. I wouldn't tell her what Bert said, and Bert wouldn't, and Sophie Armstrong told her. Bert's father found out, and he come round, and I thought he was a-going to lick me about the eye, and he licked Bert. Say, am I Lynn's? Honest? No, Billy, you're not, I said. Wish I was. They couldn't get me back to Laramie then. But, oh, bother! I'd not go for him. I'd like to see him try. Lynn wouldn't leave me go. You ain't married, are you? No more is Lynn now, I guess. A good many are, but I wouldn't want to. I don't think anything of em. I've seen Mother take pothecary stuff on the sly. She's whaled me worse than Lynn ever does. 
I guess he wouldn't want to be mother's husband again. And if he does, said Billy, his voice suddenly vindictive, I'll quit him and skip. No danger, Bill, said I. How would the nice lady inside please you? inquired the driver. Ah, pshaw! She ain't after Lynn, sang out Billy, loud and scornful. She's after her brother. She's all right, though, he added approvingly. At this all talk stopped short inside, reviving in a casual, scanty manner, while unconscious Billy Lusk, tired of the one subject, now spoke cheerfully of bird's eggs. Who knows the child-soul, young in days, yet old as Adam and the hills? That schoolyard slur about his mother was as dim to his understanding as to the offenders, yet mysterious nature had bid him go to instant war. How, foreseeing in Lynn to choke the unfounded jest about his relation to Billy Lusk, in hopes to save the boy's ever awakening to the facts of his mother's life. Though, said the driver, an easy-going cynic, folks with lots of fathers will find heaps of brothers in this country. But presently he let Billy hold the reins, and at the next station carefully lifted him down and up. I've knowed that woman, too, he whispered to me. Sydney, Nebraska. Lusk was off half the time. We laughed when she fooled Lynn into marrying her. Come to think, he mused, as twilight deepened around our clanking stage, and small Billy slept sound between us, there's scarcely a thing in life you get a laugh out of that don't make soberness for somebody. Soberness had now visited the pair behind us. Even Lynn's lively talk had quieted, and his tones were low and few. But though Miss Jessamine, at our next change of horses, hoped I would come inside, I knew she did not hope very earnestly, and outside I remained until Buffalo. Journeying done, her face revealed the strain beneath her brave brightness, and the haunting care she could no longer keep from her eyes. The imminence of the jail and the meeting had made her cheeks white and her countenance seem actually smaller. And when, reminding me that we should meet again soon, she gave me her hand, it was ice-cold. I think she was afraid Lynn might offer to go with her. But his heart understood the lonely sacredness of her next half-hour, and the cowpuncher, standing aside for her to pass, lifted his hat wistfully and spoke never a word. For a moment he looked after her with sombre emotion, but the courthouse and prison stood near and in sight, and, as plain as if he had said so, I saw him suddenly feel she should not be stared at going up those steps. It must be all alone, the pain and the joy of that reprieve. He turned away with me, and after a few silent steps said, Wasted! all wasted. Let us hope, I began. You're not a fool, he broke in roughly. You don't hope anything. He'll start life elsewhere, said I. Elsewhere? Yes, keep starting till all the elsewheres know him like Powder River knows him. But she, I have had to sit and hear her tell and tell about him, 
all about back in Kentucky, playin' around the farm and how she raised him after the old folks died. Then he got bigger and made her sell their farm, and she told how it was right he should turn it into money and get his half. I did not dare say a word, for she'd have just bit my head off, and, and that would sure hurt me now. Lynn brought up with a comical chuckle, and she went to work, and he cleared out, and no more seen or heard of him. That's for five years, and she'd given up tracing him, when one morning she reads in the paper about how her long-lost brother is convicted for forgery. That's the way she knows he's not dead, and she takes her savings off her railroad salary and starts for him. She was that hasty, she thought it was Buffalo, New York, till she got in the cars and read the paper over again, but she had to go as far as Cincinnati either way. She has paid every cent of the money he stole. We had come to the bridge, and Lynn jerked a stone into the quick little river. She's awful strict in some ways, thought Buffalo must be a wicked place because of the shops being open Sunday. Now, if that was all Buffalo's wickedness, and she thinks divorce is mostly sin, but her heart is a shield for Nate. Her face is as beautiful as her actions, he added. Well, said I, and would you make such a villain your brother-in-law? He whirled round and took both my shoulders. Come walking, he urged. I must talk some. So we followed the stream out of town towards the mountains. I came awful near asking her in the stage, said he. End of chapter 5 Part 2